Um, but if I come across a little bit full on, um, it's not because I'm having a go at you, but it's because I really think that we have been sold such a sham of what peace is. Like, and I just feel like, like as I was preparing for this, just like very fired up by what gets called peace that is just not peace. Um, and the way that that has really like laid hold of our lives. Um, and so if you feel, this is very loud, hey, is it very loud for you? Yeah? No? Okay. Maybe it's because we're standing in front of that. Um, but yeah, we've just been sold such a sham of peace. And I really think when it comes to peace, we are living into things that are actually not offering us the peace of God and are not offering us life and life to the fullest at all. Um, and so the, the passage I want to look at um, here today, if I move away from that speaker, maybe I'll feel less self-conscious. I think someone's recording it, is that right? Um, yeah, the passage here, um, Jesus is just about to leave his followers, um, and he says this in John 14, 26, 27, he says, The Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And then one more time. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. That key thing, I do not give to you as the world gives it. I do not give to you as the world gives it. There is a peace of God, and as Alicia said, that comes from the God of peace. And then there is also a counterfeit peace. There is a promise of peace, which is not peace. These are not the same. Um, as I've shared about many times, and I share about this bit because it's the biggest kind of, I guess, experience of God I've had um, in a long time, but have gone through the separation over the last couple of years. And one thing I've had to accept in that journey is that the story that I tell about that separation and the story my ex will tell about it will probably never be the same. Those two stories will probably never be reconciled. Um, there will never be apologies for some of the things I think I deserve an apology for. Um, there will be some reconciliation, but to a large degree, this will never change. How it is, is how it is. I cannot rely on changed circumstances to give me peace. I cannot rely on the situation to change for me to have peace. That's not a reality. Peace will have to be countercultural to my pain, not because my pain has ended. Does that make sense? Peace will not be because everything sorts out. It will be in spite of what it is. That is what peace will be. And I want to offer a sobering truth to us today. And I'm only saying this because I think we are communities who are committed to works of justice making. And it would never really be common for someone in these communities to say, um, give up on involvement in our neighbourhoods, or not care about issues of justice. As an age group, as a culture, many of us, like, we get this. So I'm saying what I'm saying today as a counterweight to that. Um, but in the same way, I can't expect a change in circumstances in my relationship to bring peace to that. There is no guarantee that this world will be better when you die. 
There's no guarantee this world will be better than we die. Um, there is no guarantee that it will be more just or less divided. Many, many Christians have died in a world worse than the one they came into. Right? You can't promise the people you care about a better world because Jesus didn't even promise that to his disciples. What did he say? John 16, 33. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. We actually, we cannot promise people a better world. It doesn't mean we don't try for it, you know? But we can't promise people a better world. We can't promise justice. Because Jesus did not. He said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. Some of you will know that Terotini song. He never told me it would be easy. He said suffering would come, but he promised peace, peace, peace. Peace in spite of difficult circumstances, not because those circumstances are, are resolved. What God promises you is peace amidst turmoil, fear, injustice, hate. That is all we have, and that is all that we can offer others. And I get that that's really frustrating. <laughs> like, that sucks. Like, I'm not saying, what I'm not saying here is, yeah, get over it. The world sucks and it's always going to suck. I'm saying, that really sucks. I want these things to change. I pray with Luna every day before she goes to bed. We pray for families in Ukraine, you know, that God's will will be done, that they will be changed, you know. And we pray for kids who have no homes. And I want Jesus to give every kid who has no home a home. But I can't guarantee that that will change. Paul totally got this frustration. Romans 8, verse 20, he said, the world is subjected to frustration. It's like, Argh! we live in the space of what N.T. Wright called the almost but not yet kingdom. Of like, Jesus, you promised us such, such amazingness, such life and life to the fullest, and we live in this place where it's absolutely broken. Later in that passage, 8.22, he said, it's like the world is in the pains of childbirth. Like, it's just like pushing for justice, it's like, please. But it's, but, it's, but it's not happening. And because we are desperate for peace, we're desperate for peace in our own hearts, and we're desperate for peace in our friends' hearts, and we're desperate for peace in the world around us, sometimes in our frustration, in the pains of childbirth, in our longing, in our hurts, in our anger, in our fear, we instead adopt the peace that the world gives us. Because the frustration of waiting for the peace of God or the God of peace is too much. And so what I want to do this afternoon is I want to look at um, three ways um, that, three roads, I'm going to say, three ways of counterfeit peace that seem to be kind of up front in our culture at the moment. Is that cool? Has everyone followed me so far? Um, and if you are someone who takes notes, you may want to draw a triangle. Because um, 3DM told me they're very spiritual. Um, so draw a triangle if you'd like to. So three ways of peace. The first of these, I think, is the way of anger. The way of anger. I will create peace by force. I will wage peace on the earth. Um, I was trying to think about when is the angriest I've ever got in my life. Um, a few years ago, we were fitting out this youth centre called Zeal, me and my friend Brooke, and um, we were working 16, 18 hour days 
to paint the centre, to like do all these jobs that we didn't have money to pay for, and we were going on and on and on and just working so, so, so hard. And we were like working and in tears at the same time. It was like burnout territory, like, like real burnout territory, not healthy at all. Um, and um, I can remember I had built these giant um, panels that were going to hang from the ceiling of one of our spaces. And I'd spent hours on these things. I had a mate come in to help me, and we'd been um, made these massive structures. And we were working out how to suspend them. And uh, we kind of discovered that the roof kind of wasn't strong enough to hold them. But I was like, we'll find a solution. There'll be a way. We've spent flipping hours on these things. And uh, Brooke, who is, you know, arguably I get, I've been discipled into my impulsivity by him. Um, I go out and um, go to pick up some more paint. And when I come back, he's just finished demolishing these. And I just, like, absolutely lost it. Are there any kids in the room? So, no. So I go to Brooke, pardon my French, I say, fuck you and fuck Seal, I quit. And stormed out of the room. Like, that was the end of it for me. I was just absolutely done. Um, and I'm um, just like, fury, eh? Just absolute fury. And, and um, I'll come back to that in a moment, but I want to say that um, we are not one of those spaces where you should suppress your anger. I think anger can be a good emotion, eh? Like, anger is a suitable response to injustice. Anger is a suitable response to pain. It's a suitable response to being mistreated. But the problem with anger is that it's a secondary emotion. It's always flowing from a deeper place. It's always flowing from a place of shame or a place of fear or something much deeper than what we're experiencing. Anger is not inherently wrong. Um, but what was actually going on for me in that moment with Brooke um, was that I felt disrespected, I felt unheard. There was some sense of humiliation deep in that and the secondary thing of anger comes out. Um, I've written here, anger is a good exhaust pipe but it's a bad engine. <laughs> Like, it's a great thing to dispel what we are feeling, but it's really bad at taking us where we need to go. Um, anger is a great town to pass through. It's a shitty destination. It's a bad place to live your life. But, you know, I know in the journeys of grief, as someone who's lived myself, that anger is part of that journey. But it's not a destination you want to live in. Peace must be our fuel. If anger is our fuel, it will eventually light everything on fire. It will. James 1, 19 to 20 says, The anger of humanity does not achieve the righteousness of God. The anger of humanity does not achieve the righteousness of God. Man, I look at our current social climate and I think there are so many who believe that the anger of humanity can accomplish the righteousness of God. That if we are furious enough, eventually we will rid the world of sin. We will rid the world of trouble. I think the problem too with anger is that unchecked um, it just becomes this constant projection onto everyone else without an interrogation of our own hearts. You know, it begins to dehumanise others while, while holding ourselves together. Alexander Sotsenheim had this, this great line, he says, the line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties either, but right through every human heart. Um, and, um, and, and, and the problem with anger as an engine, the problem with anger as a destination, um, is that um, we, we cease to see the humanity and the child of God and the person in front of us. Um, and we try to wage peace and it becomes something else. 
The righteousness of God ministers to the, ministers to the heart and seeks to keep remembering that everyone is ultimately a child of God, while the anger of humanity seeks to destroy humanity. So first point I want to bring, the, the, the way of anger, peace sought through the way of anger creates violence. The second way is the way of control. Second way is the way of control. I will shape the world around me until it is peaceful. I will shape the world around me until it is peaceful. I lived with a guy a few years ago who had um, real trouble getting employed. Um, he was out of work for about two or three years. Really amazing guy, but his, um, his world got really small in that time. You know, like he mostly hung out in our house. Um, and so his need to control that space kind of became more and more and more. Um, and the breaking point I remember one day is um, we were sitting down at dinner and he said, guys, I'm really sick of this. I've told you before, the sponge goes on the right side of the sink, not on the left. <laughs> and you're just like, oh my gosh, mate, we have bigger things going on in our lives than where the sponge lives, you know? But his world becomes small and there was this need to control the small things to have a sense of peace within him. Now the problem with that is that this sense of um, control that he had over things ultimately became about the manipulation and control of other people. And often when we have a desire to control everything about our environment, we will ultimately try to control all of those around us as well. I think we can, um, I think we can see this at the moment like unfolding in a political sense too. Um, all must believe the same as me. They must put the political sponge in the right place. I cannot be at peace until everyone has their political sponge on the left or the right, or even we feel most comfortable with. I cannot be at peace until everyone else's values conform and adhere to my values. Now maybe you do have better values, but the reality of the world you live in is that not everybody is going to conform to your values. And if your peace is hinged upon people doing that, you will never have peace, eh? You will never have peace. I want to look at how Jesus shaped the world around him. It says he came as a servant. He didn't put other people in servitude to his agenda, but he came as a servant. He took the likeness of a servant. He came with an invitation, not an imposition. He came inviting people, come, follow me, and he trusted that the character and the power of the revolution that he had and God's spirit at work would be enough for people to change. He didn't need to come with a sword like people thought he would because the revolution was infectious enough on its own. He paid the price for peace rather than asking others to pay it for him. You know, we do not have a saviour who defeated by redemptive violence, by crushing the bad people. We have one who conquered death through redemptive suffering. He paid the price. And he talked not of controlling the world, but he said that what he would do, his kingdom would do, is salt the world. That it would flavour and season the world as it is. So those who need to control their environment to feel peace will control and subjugate their enemies, but ultimately, if they do that, they will see in the end the need to subjugate their friends as well. If control is what you need to feel at peace, in this world, with all its unpredictability, you will not have peace. Peace sought through control becomes subjugation. Is everyone following me so far? Cool. Then the third one on your triangle. 
The last one is the way of self. The way of self. And the way of self says, the world is a dumpster fire. So I will fashion a little place of my own where at least I can be at peace. I'll get my own little spot that no one can ever get into and I'll wall it off and I'll fortify it. And then no one can ever make me not peaceful. <laughs> I like the heat pump at 19 degrees. Some in that room, it will always be at 19 degrees. I like this particular ulti kind of music that no one else likes, but in my little space, I can listen to it. <laughs> I have this particular way people look at me that sets me off, but if I don't have to see them, I'll never have to experience that discomfort. The world is a dumpster fire, so I will fashion a little place of my own where at least I can be at peace. Um, you know, when um, my separation happened, I got really, really into Lego. I'm like super into Lego. I got crazy into Lego. Um, like, like a criminal amount of Lego. Like if, if, if I told you how much Lego I have, I would lose all my social justice credibility in this moment. Um, so much Lego. And I think the thing was like, I could not control my own life. I did not have power over my own life. But I could control this little two metre long street and these 60 little yellow people, like, you know, like, like that, that street I could control. And, um, and so in a certain kind of a way, it was actually kind of healthy, you know, it was kind of like, it gave me, yeah, here we go, I'm kind of, um, what am I doing? Enabling myself. Um, but, um, but I put it up on a high shelf too, because this is not um, kids' Lego. Yeah, this is adult Lego, um, and, um, and I didn't want Luna to get to my adult Lego, so it's on a nice high shelf where she can't get to it, and around the same time I bought her some Turplo worth about 1% of what I spent on my Lego, um, and, and she loves that, but I put it up there. Um, but I think we see in the same way at the moment a cultural trend at present where people want to curate their whole lives in the same way where they want to put their lives up on the shelf where nothing or nobody can ever reach or interfere with it. Um, because up there it's peaceful. If, if it's not kind of clear what I'm talking about here, um, I was thinking of where Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 6.19, he says, remember that you are temples. He says, remember that you are temples. Now this is historically where we get that phrase, my body is a temple, right? Which we see used for all sorts of different things today. Um, you are temples. What does he say next? You are temples of the Holy Spirit. So you are not a temple made to worship yourself. You are a temple made for the worship of God. You are not a temple made to worship yourself. You are a temple made to worship God. So I want to say there's this, um, Things like counselling are really good and essential, and if you've never done any counselling, like seriously, I bet people to go to counselling, we will help you to get it if you can't afford it. But do not turn your counselling into a religion. I think some people are pursuing like utopia in their minds, where one day they will just work out all their issues, and then the counsellor in the room is going, good, good, carry on. But one day you will crack it. But as someone who's probably done thousands of hours of sitting in the counselling chair, you pull a layer off that onion and there's another, and another, and another, and another. You know, the human heart is deep and complicated, and it's never, as you pull the layers off, you realise it looks nothing like a temple. It looks like an emaciated wet cardboard box on the corner of Cuba Street, you know. <laughs> like, actually, that there is not some utopia you're going to arrive at in your mind where you suddenly understand yourself and all the pain goes away. Heaven is not on your head. 
Self-care and bubble baths are all good. You know, I had a really hard day the other day. I went to um, the Chinese health massage on Cuba Street and I had a full body. I back it. It's good stuff. It's good stuff. I'm not anti that. But if you make a spiritual rhythm and a ritual out of that, and that is not going to take you to peace. If your self-care practices are leading you to lesser capacity to engage with and love the people around you, then they're not actually the peace of God. If they're just leading you to fortify more and more your little world, to put your life up on a shelf where no one can reach it and interfere with it, that is the peace of self. It's not the peace of God. Going back to that Lego, I have it on this high shelf. Um, and the reality is that my, the days are numbered of my Lego street. Um, I think one day it's gonna, Luna is going to look like the, you know, the Marshmallow Man from Ghostbusters, like walking down the street, throwing cars in the air and smashing buildings. Like, one day she will grow up and the days of my adult Lego street will come crumbling down. And for those of us who want to pursue peace by building a little sanctuary around ourselves, I want to tell you that that sanctuary's days are numbered as well, too. That one day you'll have to head outside again. And everyone will not speak to you in exactly the way you want them to speak to you. And they won't know what you talked about in counselling and how that triggers you, and so they will say things that set you off. And they'll be rude and mean and unkind at times because even though you've become a god in your own temple, they don't think you're a god at all. <laughs> you know, one day you will have to leave your little sanctuary of self and discover that the whole world cannot be contained in this little place that is all in reference to you. And the thing is, we're not just called to be peaceful people in the scriptures. We're also actually called to be peacemakers. That's Matthew 5.9. And to make peace, you're actually going to have to leave your room once in a while, eh? <laughs> to make peace, you're actually have to, going to have to get off Netflix once in a while. <laughs> to make peace, at some point, we're going to have to move beyond the exploration of our own neuroticism and press go on believing in something and giving our lives to it. C.S. Lewis said, God, you have made us for yourself, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. In other words, there is no earthly sanctuary that is a suitable replacement to the peace found by being at home in God. There is no sanctuary you can build on earth that will be a peace that will be a replacement to living in the sanctuary of God's love and His peace. So there's three things before I bring one final point. Firstly, peace sought through anger creates violence. Secondly, peace sought through control breeds subjugation. Thirdly, peace sought through the sanctuary of self becomes idolatrous. So to return to that original verse, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, I do not give to you as the world gives it. And that brings us to um, our fourth and final way, which if you've drawn a triangle, you're really annoyed with me right now. <laughs> you've got nowhere to put it. <laughs> Maybe you could put it in the middle. Um, during the um, process of our, our separation taking place, I would spend hours and hours and hours in our chapel downstairs. We had this, this little chapel where I'd just light two or three other candles down there and I'd just put on some music. And I'd just sometimes just sit there for an hour or two um, and just weep and weep and wail and wail. Um, and those of you who have like um, gone through incredibly hard things in, in your lives will know that um, Sometimes you're just like surprised by what comes out of you in those moments. 
Um, you know, I always used to think that Hollywood was really dramatic um, until it was like actually on the floor and I was actually saying, why God, why God, why? Like from this deepest place. And it felt like it wasn't even a choice to say it. You know, it just kind of erupted from me. Um, and most of the time spent in that chapel over a year was like that. It was wailing and it was tears and it was grieving. But then in the midst of it would be these moments where all of a sudden just like the joy of God would arrive. And I just start laughing. And like not laughing in a like, you know, maniacal kind of way, but I just suddenly start laughing and become aware of God's presence with me. All these other moments where suddenly I would just feel calm and I'd just start praying to the person who'd hurt me and just pray for them for half an hour or an hour or an hour and a half. And this peace would come over me, which just made, was absolutely nonsensical to the place that I was in. As I said earlier, my circumstances had not changed, but a peace arrived um, that, that I'd never seen anything like before and I'd never experienced until that moment. You know, in our culture at the moment, there's this big critique of like toxic positivity. And I get that. I get that people have been made to say that they're okay when they're not okay. And I get that people have been told to put a smile on rather than really deal with the thing that's hurting them or be honest about it. But I fear that in the midst of that dialogue, we might actually become afraid of being joyful. Or we might actually become afraid of acknowledging that the peace of God is big and powerful and actually can cause us to feel emotions that have no godly place in what we're experiencing. And it's not a shallow toxic positivity thing, but it's a deep work of the spirit. And it's not fake. I read this line in a book by Erwin McManus a while ago, and he was talking to artsy creative people like many of you, and he said, we need to get to grips with the fact that sadness is not the only authentic emotion. It's like, oh, that is such a good line, eh? I think for our generation, we feel like at least we're angry or sad or churned up, it must be fake. <laughs> but actually, you know, joy, happiness, peace, contentment, these can be authentic emotions. And we shouldn't diminish the joy or the peace that God does in us because we're afraid that someone might perceive that as toxic positivity when it's a real work in us. Are you hearing me here? We shouldn't let the cultural zeitgeist rob us of our joy or rob us of our peace because we're too scared that people will think we're fake. You know, was it Paul said that the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing? If we look foolishly joyful and peaceful in the midst of our suffering, it's so now not our problem if people judge us as fakes. You know, they thought the early church were alcoholics, cannibals, and incestuous, you know? Ask them thinking we're too happy is probably something we can get over. And so I wanna wanna say around that that the greatest peace I've ever experienced was during that year of the greatest chaos and the greatest suffering. The greatest peace I ever experienced was in the midst of the greatest chaos and the greatest suffering. And I want to go back to verse 26, which just becomes comes just before that um, my peace gives here and it says, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. You can go with the peace of anger and you'll get violence. 
You can try to control the whole world around you and you'll end up subjugating the people you love. You can go into your own little temple and build idols there. But none of that will actually give you peace. The only thing that will give us the peace we are looking for is walking deeply with the Holy Spirit. The only thing that will give us the peace we're looking for is walking deeply with the Holy Spirit. And I don't want to oversimplify this too much, but I think at its most simple thing, that is a matter of time. (laughs) That if there is not time walking with Jesus, if there is not time walking alongside the Holy Spirit, then we will not find that peace. And in our frustration, we will reach for other peace which destroys us and destroys the people we love. When we walk with the Spirit in God's peace, anger is transformed into love. Control is transformed into generosity and the sanctuary of self becomes a home for the Most High God. So that's what I want to share with you this afternoon. And I want to say to you again that um, I walked the way of anger a lot. I've walked the way of control a lot, um, and I've walked the way of the sanctuary of self a lot, and I will again. <laughs> but I will, in my frustration for it all to be okay, I will again. But the only thing that will heal my heart is the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. It's the only thing that will heal my heart. And in this particular uh, cultural moment, where there is such anxiety, such exhaustion, and such a lack of peace, If we do not have the peace of God, we will flame out into anger, we will flame out into control, or hide away in a way which isolates us from the people who love us and from us loving them. We need the real peace of God. We need it so bad at the moment. So I think what I'll do is pray for a moment, and um, and then I'll just invite you. What's the time? 10 to 5. And Dylan's at 5? We'll take, um, after that, we'll take a few minutes to kind of turn to the person next to you and talk about what's on top. Um, Loving God, we so need your peace. We so need you to be the God of peace in our lives. We need to be liberated um, away from our fear and frustration, our anxiety and our exhaustion a desire to rescue ourselves. God, we want to have good relationships with each other. We want to know you deeply, and that only comes um, when we know you as the God of peace. So I pray even now, and as we are here into worship tonight, that your Holy Spirit would come and rest on everybody here. But where there is a a sting or a realisation that um, we have walked away, which is not your peace, God, I really pray that um, that would be conviction and not condemnation. I pray you protect our minds and hearts um, from falling into spirals of guilt or shame. Um, And Jesus, yeah, I pray um, for um, deep repentance that is followed by a a powerful outpouring of your grace. Amen. So why don't you turn to the person next to you for just a couple of minutes.